You're listening to episode 271 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our look at the BBC science fiction drama Primeval. And sounds like you got a bit of a cold on this uh, dreary yeah, Monday. Not feeling so great, but that's okay. I'm 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 dedicated to the 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 uh, the art of podcasting here. I'm gonna I'm gonna power through. All right. So if I sound dumber than I normally do, I apologize in advance. Well, all right. Well, listen, um, you know, we've got no feedback from Fred this week because he's traveling in the States. He was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then uh, I heard you that betcha. he's now in he's now in San Diego, which is uh, quite the change from I, I think he said there was snow in Minneapolis yeah. uh, mm. at this point. But uh, Fred, I hope you're having a good time in the States and. Can't wait to hear from you again when you get back. Two things I wanted to bring up before we talk a little news and and a little tip of the week. Uh, Doctor Who, we've got two episodes under our belt. How you feeling? Yeah, I, I watched uh, you know, episode two last night, and it was good. Yeah, it's uh, very enjoyable. Would would I say I put it up there with the the greats? No, but it was a solid Doctor Who, and and. Uh, you know, Jodie Whittaker is starting to kind of make her mark and um, starting to define how the role is going to be for her. And, you know, it's cool watching watching that happen. Okay. And, and I'm glad you put it that way, define how she's going to approach the role, because we understand that each doctor is different. But I, I guess I'm sort of heading in the opposite direction that my wife and I watched it, and, and again, I've mentioned before, she's a huge Capaldi fan, but she loved Jodie Whittaker in Broadchurch, so there certainly is that. But we were both left a little flat after this second episode, and as I thought about it today, it's almost as if Chris Chibnall is trying too hard to put his stamp on it. Uh, We've got a brand new opening title sequence, which I think I like. I'm not sure yet. And and that's not that big a deal. Obviously, we have a woman doctor and in and of itself, I'm trying to make it not a big deal that it's a woman doctor. Okay, great. Let's let's move on. But her frenetic pace as the doctor it is, I don't know, it, it's a little off-putting for me at this point. And you could argue, well, think back. Tennant was like that. Matt Smith was like that. Okay, I get that. And, and maybe I'm misreading it. But what really sent me into uh, a little bit of a tizzy is the redesign of the interior of the TARDIS. Okay. I'm like, what the hell? Well, it's kind of more uh, organic, I guess, would be the word for it. <clears throat> but then my question comes back to why? Yeah. I just, be, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I, I guess I feel like there's something that connects each doctor with the next. And while they've certainly made subtle changes, you know, mostly as technology and the budget grew over the years, but it was always basically the same TARDIS inside. No, and, I mean, it's changed for each doctor. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, but not significantly. I mean, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, yeah. 
I think Capaldi's was, but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. It was still kind of the same basic. It, like it looks like, I mean, way, way, way different than it ever right. has. Yeah. And the fact that we've only got ten episodes now, albeit they're a few minutes longer. The fact that we have three companions or whatever we're calling them, you you told me we're not supposed to be calling them companions, but that's that's what I heard. <laughs> but we're really not getting to know any of them, and that we've had two in the past, not not often. It's usually been one, but uh, certainly we've had two, and, and in sure. the reboot, we we uh, certainly had two on the one occasion. Yep. But but three, I, I, I don't get why you would do that. It just makes things more difficult for us to really bond because I like all three, but I don't feel like I know any of them any better now than I did at the beginning of the first episode. Yeah. Only, well, only slightly. Yeah, especially I feel like Yaz is kind of getting short shifted on this um, because um you know ryan and uh, what's the the older guy's name Gr- graham something like that i can't remember graham yeah yeah you know th- they actually get this seems like they get a little bit more you know their characters get fleshed out a little bit better so far than than yaz's has um so but yeah i i, I totally agree with you on that point though that like yeah, usually by this point we have you know kind of really because you know as we've always said like the the companion is us right sure that we relate to the companion way more than we do the doctor we can't relate to the doctor really at all you know it's like a he she it uh is a um you know an, an alien that's lived for thousands of years but uh the human companions are the you know the everyday person that we and, and so we kind of vicariously experience adventures through them um and so with three of them it's you're, you're right it makes it tougher to kind of get that experience right and, and then i guess the last thing that bothered me that the writing of episode two i don't think was all that strong i don't think the episode at its core was all that strong yes we got a little bit of character development but i really felt like i was being preached at more than I've ever noticed in the past. I mean, I get at its heart, Doctor Who still claims to be a children's show, which I think most of us that have been watching Doctor Who for the last few decades would uh, chuckle when we hear that. But while it is a show parents can comfortably allow their children to watch in most cases, I don't think I would call it a children's show. And whether it's the anti-gun anti-violence you know i i get it but yeah i don't know there's something about episode two that really felt like it was hitting me over the head with more than one social commentary idea. but anyway i'll leave it at that i mean i'm not ready to give up on it but right well of course you're not yeah but uh yeah well here's the one takeaway that i really liked from it is where the um i, I can't remember her name but the supporting character the 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 woman who was involved in the contest trying to win it to in order to save her family. Um, I thought that was a very strong character and that actress did a, a really good job of, you know, and I think let's like some of the, I, I was reflecting then on some of the best kind of uh, one time characters that, that really uh, nailed it and, you know, were kind of, you know, stood out. 
like you know uh, Sally Sparrow and and um, uh, Madame de Pompadour. Um, the the two that probably the, the ones that stuck out the most of of like what I consider like probably top ten episodes of the new incarnation of Doctor Who. Now, while this character I don't know ranks up there with those, I thought it was you know pretty well done. Right, so. but I, I I hated the resolution. It goes back to the, I mean, at least for me, everybody gets a trophy. I understand why they did it the way they did it, but as a means of resolving a contest, I, I didn't like it. But I like, like, but it wasn't just that everyone gets a trophy. Like, it's everyone gets a trophy if the one person threatens to kill the guy with the trophy's family, you know? So. Yeah, well, all right. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, the news that Iron Fist will not be returning for a season three, but the caveat is on Netflix. So that I know a lot of outlets are looking at it as, as if Iron Fist has been canceled, which I guess in and of itself it has been, but it's my understanding that Marvel is got a streaming service of their own in the works and while it may be canceled on netflix i wonder if this is it for danny rand so we shall see i don't think it's going to be it for danny because he's still part of the punisher and dared you know like all those other shows they intermingle with one another still Sure. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Have you, are, they, are they making another season of Defenders? I don't know if that's happening. I don't think so. Okay. I don't. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the possibility of that actor and, and that character still popping up on Netflix, I think, is still there. But I, I don't think it really is surprising to anyone that, though, that I thought season two was better. Um, it still doesn't kind of like resonate like, you know, the Daredevil or Jessica Jones or luke cage or the punisher actually yeah so all right well let's throw out a piece of news for everybody because you and i have decided what we're going to do after we're finished with prime evil which is obviously next week will be the end of of season one and we are going to attack the new netflix arrival haunting of hill house because at its core sci-fi tv rewatch and fadeless before it has always professed to be sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. And while we certainly had our zombie phase three or four <laughs> years ago, right. we really haven't done much horror. So I, I think we both feel that this is a perfect opportunity. We haven't seen it at all. I'm not going to watch it until next week as I prepare for the podcast. I want to go into that first episode fresh. And at this point, we're going to do one episode at a time leading up to the arrival of Travelers, which, you know, we're still awaiting drop date for that. So it's entirely possible we might not get through the entirety of Haunting of Hill House. Or we might have to double up at the end there or something. Right. Or we'll we'll see what we feel like doing at the time. I mean, we might just stop, do Travelers, and then come back and finish it. But we'll figure that out uh, along the way. So Haunting of Hill House, Netflix, check it out, and hopefully... You're with us on that. Yeah, I, was, I just got to say, Dave, that was a great idea because I was like thinking about watching that anyway. So when you said, hey, let's, why don't we do that next? I was like, that's perfect. That's that's a great idea. Cool. All right. You got a tip of the week? Uh, I do. Uh, I'm actually, though, 
kind of going to uh it's gonna be an unusual tip of the week because it's about something that came out a year ago so i'm gonna my tip of the week is going to be for man in the high castle season two. Oh, see which i have still not seen believe it or not oh yeah well i i binged it like it was actually literally the heat was out in our house like a year ago when it when it came out and so we spent the weekend at my parents' place, and I watched like the whole thing in like three days. And I started watching season three, and I was like, you know what? I don't think I really remember very much of what happened in season two. So I went back and watching season two, and I'm like, I remembering how awesome it was. Nice. And then uh, I did find an audio version of the New York Comic Con panel that Michael hosted for man in the high castle right. which uh, was pretty cool especially their little introduction of him but still no video all right now my tip of the week is a non-genre show and and certainly a number of mine have been and i've mentioned that my wife and i have been watching a lot of british uh detective shows just general mystery suspense type shows and this tip of the week is for an australian legal series entitled rake And there are five seasons from 2010 to 2018 of eight episodes each. So what it looks like is that it aired every two years. So we follow this guy, Cleaver Green, who's a divorced attorney who lives in this shabby little apartment, primarily because he's got a drug problem, a gambling problem, frequents the local brothel where he's fallen in love with one of the prostitutes. Basically, the guy's a mess but he's a brilliant lawyer and he generally defends people that are guilty. At one point, somebody says, well, what's your success rate? He says about 51%. He said, well, that's not very good. He says, well, it is when you consider that 99% of my clients are guilty. (laughs) It's got a case of the week an irreverent tone, but engaging characters that include his therapist ex-wife and his son, who's 16 going on 30 so it's called rake all five episodes are on netflix australian you'll you'll run across some australian actors that you know uh sam neil popped up in one the other night uh, and certainly a lot of others so uh check it out if you're into that sort of thing it's got almost a castle feel to it so cool all right well enough about that we're 15 minutes in and this is like the old days dude yeah uh, hey it's classic uh sci-fi tv rewatch uh, format here exactly all right so let's get to primeval we're looking at episodes 103 and 104 so 103 is written by adrian hodges directed by silhouette so this has been the team for the first three episodes and this one aired february 24th 2007 so obviously one of the big things we have to talk about is the arrival and impact of Helen. Yeah. And even though we don't see her a ton, her impact is just everywhere. I mean, she stays in the past, she says, because she doesn't trust Nick to keep his mouth shut. And I'm thinking, well, it's a a good thing she never met Connor. Right. (laughs) But what, what are some early impressions for you of Helen? Well, okay, so the the first thing is is when you during the opening credits, uh when they show uh Hel- who's the actress. Oh my god, I can't remember. But you know, when, when they, you know, they 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 show the 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 actor's name and then the the 
the picture next to it and in her she's looking just it's i just discovered actually now in uh episode four that it's they pulled that that shot from when she's being interrogated and she looks like kind of crazy and mad so you know like right away there like there's this kind of like impression we get just from the the opening credits that it's not like a picture of her like smiling and holding flowers or something like that but you know i mean like helen is is a mystery i don't know if we're any clearer on her or on what her we certainly have no idea what her agenda is but she definitely seems to be i mean like she's definitely not on with the team concept that nick is building here and uh looks like she's going to become a primary antagonist right now i'm wondering whether or not she killed the diver that went through and sent him back with that note and and i've got note in air quotes you know the handkerchief with her initials on uh, because there's no reason just going through should have killed him i don't recall them saying that his body looked like it had been mauled by one of these prehistoric beasts so i'm I'm wondering if she killed him and sent him back i mean we don't have an answer at this point no we don't but i mean that's definitely a possibility right right now the other thing i like that came out of this episode is the fact that perhaps we should consider these anomalies which perhaps have been around for a long time as an explanation for dragons and other monsters that ancient man seemed preoccupied with. I I love that idea because it makes so much sense. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I like when he's like, you know, well, you know, maybe the people of the past weren't so, you know, crazy as we thought, or, or, you know, imaginative as we thought, maybe they really were seeing sea monsters and dragons and whatnot. Right. Now, uh, we've talked about shipping ever since we started doing podcasting, and uh, obviously most shows have some level of shipping within the context of the plot lines. And we'll kind of start with some relationship issues from this episode. And and certainly one thing you have to consider, it certainly seems as if Claudia might have a bit of a crush on Cutter, which is cool. I, I know you said Claudia is your favorite character, and she's quickly becoming mine as well yeah yeah and you're right well i mean from the first moment they met when she kissed him you know i mean that kind of like right but the one of the first things we see abby is dressed really nicely she comes to the hospital to pick up steven and, and when connor makes a comment about her perfume i think she says i can do the girl thing <laughs> but then Stephen tells her his girlfriend's there to pick him up that she just returned from a two year stint in the rainforest. And obviously she's crushed Connor, you know, as out of it as he seems to be sometimes notices and tells her, I think you look great, but you know, this little triangle thing I've mentioned before that, you know, I like it. It's cute. It's seems to be relatively harmless, but it kind of leads to, Later in the episode, when Connor tells Abby that I can do the action stuff, I'm not just a massive intellect. (laughs) And uh, it's hard not to see Connor constantly as comic relief, which I, I wish wasn't the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not, not, it's not really spoilers, but it doesn't kind of always, it's not always going to be like that, but, you know, 
certainly early on, um, that seemed like it was his main kind of uh, purpose there. And you know, and the the team takes him mostly seriously, right? Because he has, and I think re- really episode four here was uh, a big moment for Connor to move forward. And I can't remember if this, you know, it is from like here on out where he, he has you know, more, his character is a little bit more serious, but, um, you know, certainly that last scene in, in episode four, you know, shows, you know, Connor having to kind of grow up a little bit. Right. And, and it drives home how dangerous this job really is. And in fact, he even says, you know, I guess I always realized one of us could die, but, now it's real, and I, I assume it was probably Cutter that says, and I don't remember who he's saying it to, it, it could be Claudia, about how important Connor really is to the team, despite the fact that he comes across as a goof. Right. And, and certainly, you know, that comes out in this episode. He does get to play the, the hero because when he and Abby are taking samples in the lake and the little big beastie comes out and, and uh, he gets her out of harm's way and, you know, doesn't ignore the opportunity for a, for a life-saving hug and he, he goes for <laughs> it and she has to shut him down a little bit, but, uh, you know, that's okay. Well, yeah, but, it's a, because like he does, like he said, he can do the action here and he does, does the action hero thing a little bit uh but then as you said he quickly follows up with an inappropriately long hug and uh, just kind of taints it a little bit but right right and and you wonder where this thing is all headed obviously steven's getting his memory back now and he, he confronts abby about what it was he said in the ambulance and i love her response and and i not sure why i love it because she says i fancied you for a bit and now i don't and we understand she's hurt because she put herself out there felt as if he reciprocated but his excuse was that well i was delirious i don't even remember saying it and uh, and all of that but you know now he's letting her know in his semi awkward way that well you know okay i i remember it now and while I'm not saying I do fancy you, I'm not saying I don't, but she's just basically throwing up her hands and putting the brakes on. And she says, yeah, you know, why don't you go be with your girlfriend? And his, right. Yeah, well, I'm not sure how well we know each other anymore. So, oh, dude, whatever. Yeah, we've all heard that <laughs> one, buddy. Yep. So, <laughs> all right. Now. Uh, We're going I, through I really, a tough time right now. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned about Doctor Who that you thought it was an entertaining episode, and I agree it was an entertaining episode, uh, as was this one. But I guess I feel like we're falling into this monster of the week. On the one hand, I understand that they're setting things up, but you only have six episodes in the season. So I guess I feel like they're they're taking too much time with monster of the week. And maybe we won't see this in five and six. And, you know, don't tell me. Either way, but we see the guy and the girl swimming in that indoor diving facility. Okay, looking aside from the fact that, okay, the attractive girl, the attractive guy clearly like each other. They got the pool to themselves. She's going to go in while he stays out for one more dive. Uh, No, but I'm able to overlook that because how awesome is it when he dives off right into the mouth of the... 
dinosaur. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, it's awesome for us, the audience, uh, not awesome for the guy being eaten. But hey, kids, listen, before you go diving into the pool, just go and check to make sure there's not a mosasaur, uh, you know, swimming around in there. If you yeah. see a large dinosaur swimming around the pool, do not dive into the pool. Right. Right. Now, you know, the other thing that comes out in, in this episode is something that's been brewing for a while, and that's the government's involvement. And, and Richard Lester uh, obviously is more or less in charge at this point. And, and we've said, and, and rightly so, that he has been giving Cutter pretty free reign to approach all of these sightings as he sees appropriate. But they've got the dead guy, Diver, they're blaming the girl, despite the fact that all evidence points to the contrary, as Cutter points out to him. But Lester won't let her fear for the truth become public. So in other words, he says the correct decision is often painful. That's the burden of government. In other words, we can't let the truth out because it would cause a panic, I guess is his his argument here. And while Claudia says, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that she gets off, but we realize, well, she could be in jail for a couple of months if, if Lester has his way. On right. the other hand, on the other hand, we understand, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's, and, and as Lester points out, you know, like making the calls is not necessarily the greatest thing, you know, like sometimes the calls you make got to be, are, are tough calls and unpopular or, you know, you know, have a you know negative side to them. Now, one of the other areas of this episode I'll, I'll refer to as Cutter's theory of the anomaly, and, and I love his approach, which is to predict and contain. Makes perfect sense. Although Lester, right. I, I think Lester's getting a little jealous. You know that that Cutter is so in tuned into what's actually happening, because Cutter says. We learn that this latest anomaly shows no sign of weakening, but he contends that even weakened, they don't disappear. So what we need to do is figure out, is there a pattern? And his theory is that the anomaly has a fixed point of origin in the past, but remains fluid in the present, which from a physics standpoint, well, look, I'm, I'm saying from a physics standpoint, I'm not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm okay with portals into, you know, millions of years in the past. That- right. That's that's clearly something that we, as the audience just says, okay, we'll, we're, we'll accept that. You know, and it's, it's like time, any time travel, you know, like the, the show makes the rules for time travel and whether they coincide with any actual rules of the universe, it's probably fairly unlikely but uh you know we accept them and it's good genre fans too yeah now this is the scene where the diver who's searching for the anomaly in the reservoir goes through but doesn't return and and of course we have to ask well did something prevent him from returning and and that was my point at the beginning of the podcast i wonder if it's helen that killed him because she seems pretty darn ruthless about protecting the anomalies and everything that that they i guess represent so while she's been there eight years by herself we assume although we've still got that skeleton to account for i'm wondering whether 
she's the one that killed him at this point. I, I'm going with that, to be quite honest. It, yeah, I mean, she definitely seems like, you know, that is something that she is capable of. And she has a jelly, very misanthropic kind of attitude, right? Like, she... They're like basically humans are just another thing, another creature, and they'll be gone soon, just like all these other creatures have, you know, have become extinct. Right. Um, yeah. So, so we get the fault that opens in the basement of some suburban family. Mom's down there trying to do the laundry. <laughs> she calls the plumber, <laughs> and you know he ends up getting killed by some new aquatic animal. But they also find the body of the special forces diver that we were talking about a few minutes ago and cutter immediately recognizes the handkerchief as a note from helen that she's waiting for him on the other side and on the one hand claudia is not happy that he withheld the information and his response to everything seems to be well she's my wife right dude right no <laughs> Well, yeah, it, right. It's it's like that. That only goes like so far, right? You know, as far as right. an excuse. But he's basically what he when he says that it seems like he's saying, "This is someone I know, and the person I know wouldn't do these things." And then with his interactions with her later, it turns out he doesn't really know her. Which you know, again, as everyone is pointing out the cutter, she's been gone for eight years. You know, like that can you know tends to change a person being stuck in the you know prehistoric past for eight years right and we understand obviously oh oh, right and we understand that steven probably has the closest relationship with cutter and even he confronts him about helen and why she hasn't made contact and really putting him on the spot and we get that meeting uh, between the whole group they're trying to figure out what to do now that helen is alive and and as you said we realize she's got eight years of knowledge that makes her a valuable target lester tells cutter that uh, he's going to go through and bring her back and at first he says you're going to take you know at least ryan with you but cutter says no if i'm going i'm going alone and i love lester's comment to him you will try and remember what side you're on, won't you? Yeah. And I really liked the fact that when Cutter comes back without her, they just send the team in to get her because that's right. the right call to make. Right? Yeah. You're giving Cutter a lot of rope, but he's starting to hang himself. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, again, obviously they, they probably, I imagine Lester is shrewd enough to have known all along that Cutter was not going to come back with Helen. Yeah, so, we'll see. You know, well, yeah, but I don't know because really we don't have any idea of what she's thinking. I mean, he goes through and he finds her swimming at that pool uh, I, I assume we're supposed to figure that she's swimming naked and he turns his back and I'm thinking like, dude, you were married to her. Why are you turning your back? Or whatever. Yeah, it's been eight years, man. I thought that was kind of, she's a little, you know, messing with him a little bit there, you know? Right. But this meeting is strained from the start because she doesn't really seem that happy to see him. 
doesn't really give him much of an answer for why she never came back other than to say that uh, he she knew he would want to let the whole world in on it. And she's right. I mean, you think about it, if this was common knowledge in the scientific community, how many thousands of scientists would be pouring through these anomalies doing who the hell knows what? So, so we get her stance on that, but it's a strained meeting. So when you say you weren't surprised that he didn't come back and, and that you think Lester wasn't surprised either, I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I, I thought maybe he would, but I didn't think she was going to turn out to have this kind of an attitude about the whole thing, even though I think now in retrospect, she's correct. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, she's been gone for eight years and could have come back really anytime she wanted. So, you know, this is clearly someone who doesn't want to come back. You know, it's well, kind of what I'm thinking, you know. Except when she's out of coffee. Well, well, yeah, then, of course. <laughs> I mean, where'd she get that thermos and coffee that she's right, giving him? Right. So we we assume she's coming back for things like that. But she tells him she wants him to stay because she's lonely. Okay, I, I understand that. But uh, he's not willing to leave his life in, in the present and, and leave all the well, other stuff behind. that, he's got... He's got this sense of duty, right? He's like, yes, people are dying. I'm trying to save people's lives. And she's like, well, who cares? Like, they're people. They're going to die. You know, so her view is this really, this obviously from her perspective, this very long view of living in the prehistoric past and interacting with creatures that are doomed to death to, to complete extinction. So for her, human beings are just another Smilodon or, you know, whatever. But she offers him the key to time, and he turns her down. That's that's a difficult right. one. I mean, I get it. I, I know what you're saying about the sense of duty, but the key to time, man, I don't know. So, so the episode ends there where they bring her back at gunpoint, and we're thinking like, okay, this is not proceeding the way no. the team thought it would proceed. And she's pissed. I mean, you could see, you know, as she's getting shoved into the car, she looks at Cutter. She clearly is, you know, not down with this. So that leads us into episode 104, written by Richard Curdy and Bev Doyle, directed by Jamie Payne, all first timers uh, for the series, aired March 3rd, 2007. And, you know, this episode as well reinforces how dangerous this job really is. And, I don't want to say Tom gets what he deserves, but he did bug his friend and insert himself into something he knew nothing about. And Cotter doesn't really owe him anything. I, I, there's just something. I, I, look, he didn't deserve to die. I, I get that. But right. there's just something about those two friends of Cotter's <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, obviously, they, well, you know, it's not really till that final scene that we feel any kind of sense of loss. I mean, even when Tom is sick, he's going around biting people. So we're still like not really sympathizing with Tom. It's only really at the very end that we start to feel any even little shred of sympathy. But certainly, you know, the the big part of this episode, uh, besides as a, a vehicle for Helen to escape, um, is to show that there are 
very serious consequences here. Someone's died. It's not just some dude jumping off a platform into a pool, you know, like this is, you know, or some plumber we just meet for half a second. This is a guy now who we've known for, you know, four episodes. So, you know, like, like, as you said before, I mean, like the, the consequences are real here. Right. And we talked about Connor's heroic act, saving Abby, you know, from the monster in the reservoir and that scene at the end where they're inside the stadium and you've got the snipers with their, you know, lasers targeted on Tom, Lester would be within, you know, his rights to have them pull the trigger and take him out because sure. he's just, it's too dangerous. But, but Connor's like, no, let me. And then he goes in and Tom fights it out. And I, whether, I can't remember whether it was, again, whether it was Cutter that mentioned about these are human beings, they have willpower. And Tom, for all his faults, exhibits that willpower that no, he's not going to hurt his friend. He doesn't hurt Abby. He certainly had a chance to, but yeah, granted, he chases her around a little bit, but but still, uh, yeah, it's all sure like kind of like you know, like you know, nineteen fifties monster movies kind of chasing them around. You know, like like he gets her pinned down, is like growling over top of her, and then like somehow gets kicked off and everything. So. Right. And I mean, I know she's under duress, but she knows the facility. I'm not sure why she didn't just run to where the armed guard was stationed rather than everywhere else. But right. all of that said, I mean, I, I love the scene when he gets dropped off at Abby's. And while we don't know the details behind why he got kicked out of his place, I'm starting to wonder whether this is just a clever ruse on his part <laughs> to get closer well, to Abby. Yeah. It, it, it really seems, yeah, because it's like, wh- why aren't you able to live at your old place? Like, like, I mean, that's, I guess I think you had said it and maybe Fred said it last week that the show kind of takes big jumps forward, you know, like, like one, uh, what was it? No, I said like, Oh, the you know, episode three where, um, you know, they're kind of in the, the lab talking about how Abby doesn't fancy Steven anymore. And then the very next scene, they're out at the water, you know. So it's just like, boom, um, all these things. And so just kind of all, like, out of nowhere says, oh, I, you know, got kicked out of my place, which we didn't really know anything about his place, and, and you know, at, at all. And now he wants to move in with Abby. So is it just a, a ruse? You know, was he really just, or maybe he's just living at home in his, in his you know old bedroom or something you know which probably is a very likely thing as well but but yeah again the kind of a little bit of you know kind of the goofball kind of the comedy relief here well i'm calling this section connor's dodo friends uh so <laughs> she of course answers the door in her underwear again yeah and he offers her money to kiss him so that his nerd friends <laughs> <laughs> and i love the fact that she refuses i can't believe the dude resorts to low-level blackmail yeah to get her to do it (laughs) right right and she does it the other thing though i'm wondering hasn't anyone at the home office or you know wherever uh, lester and claudia work hasn't anyone noticed that rex is missing or do they assume he was sent back 
I, I, I imagine they assume that Rex went back, right? Okay. okay. With I, all I mean, the other the creatures. Only... Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, we get a bunch of flightless birds that come through uh, these dodos. And, and I guess one of the things that was good about choosing the dodo is that I think most school kids have learned about the dodo, you know, in, in school at some point, the whole idea that they're flightless birds, that they're relatively docile, uh, even stupid. Uh, so, it, you know, it certainly makes for a less threatening situation. And then, you know, the whole idea that, that there's that parasite living inside of it. But right. the one gets outside and... Tom and I forget the other one's name. Uh, you know, they capture one and I think, uh, like, geez, you guys are the dodos, not these birds. But right. Uh, well, again, it's the they're as you said, they're getting mixed up in something that they shouldn't be, you know, messing around with. Right? They're 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 out of their depth. Especially if they think it's a government conspiracy. You know, then why are you nosing around it? Why are you taking things uh, from a place that you think some government conspiracy is going? Well, okay, Grant, like you're going to have some big reveal, but what government conspiracy involves dodo birds? You know, like it's just it's a little harebrained, I guess, but it's also like it seems like it really stems from their inability to accept that Connor is kind of moving on, right? Right. And, and for me, the problem with the show is it doesn't know yet what it wants to be. Because right. while it, it is almost kind of like a Keystone Cops kind of thing, and, and that, again, maybe that will change as we move on. But, uh, you know, like you said, the government's cloning dodos. Uh, no, dude, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. <clears throat> Yeah, and again, we get that scene where the dodo has the TV remote and keeps changing the channel. I love, puts on a Japanese Godzilla movie and it reacts violently, smashes the screen. Okay. I mean, it made for a good visual, but I'm not sure what it really tells us. If you're telling us that the dodo is stupid, I wouldn't think it would necessarily be able to make that connection. But, you know, maybe not. Right. However... Did we figure out what the other one's name is, Tom? And uh, it started with a D. Well, because I was writing his name down, like Duncan, I think. Okay. Well, as soon as things start going I'll awry, Duncan just runs out and leaves Tom behind. I'm thinking, like, you know, for all his faults, every time he's put in that position, Connor steps up and does the heroic thing. And and dude, these are your friends. And as you said, I think really what we see out of all this is he's just moving so far beyond where these guys are that, I mean, do they work? I mean, look, I get that a lot of TV shows, we never see the characters at their jobs and we wonder how they pay for things and all of that. So, you know, okay, I'm okay with that. But anyway, um, you know, Tom manages to get an MRI pretty damn quickly. I've never been able to get one that fast when I needed one, but uh, I don't ever want to get one ever again. Be that as it may, <laughs> yeah, I had, I had one about a month ago for my finger, so of course I had to get in full body. Oh, just for uh, your finger, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh no. Oh, it wasn't too bad. There's a place uh, nearby that they only do MRIs. So there was like no waiting. I had an appointment came in, you know, it wasn't like a really 
tightly confined space, so I was okay. But uh, but regardless, you know, we've anyway. talked about Tom getting bitten by the dodo, and then the the whole implanting of you know the parasite, and then it growing in him, and and you know the whole idea because we're going to end up talking about Helen Cutter's motto if you will that helen wouldn't do this to us i know she wouldn't right and i'm thinking like dude keep telling yourself that and, well and, and, Cla- and claudia's pissed at this point yes well uh, and probably on a number of levels but but certainly and and again we we get why she's upset you know like cutter you know didn't when when he knew that helen was alive he didn't tell the team you know yeah. So, I mean, is Helen the enemy or not? I mean, how do we view Helen at this point? I mean, is she evil, as Lester implies, or is Cutter simply letting the past cloud his judgment about her? And and I guess the implication is that she somehow engineered the Dodo parasite deal, which I'm not sure I'm ready to uh, pass that judgment on Helen. But yeah, yeah, I, it it, it seems that to engineer this whole thing would would be a difficult thing to do i i don't think she's actively trying to destroy humanity is she's just trying to get humanity to leave her alone um so like her game was really just to escape and after that i i have to agree with cutter on this that the the dodos finding their way into the modern world was just you know random and uh you know as far as the anomalies go and you know like it wasn't not something that that helen did but that being said uh you're right a cutter seems convinced that helen is not capable of something like that and i think we're starting to get a, a feeling about helen that she is totally capable of things like that yeah. And, you know, you were appropriately vague last week when I brought the idea up about the anomalies leading to different times in the past. Well, obviously, tonight we get to reveal that there are dozens, you know, maybe hundreds yeah. of anomalies on the other side. And we have to assume what Helen has been doing is mapping them and that they do lead to different times in the past. And of course, when she goes back, when she sneaks out, uh, you know, we know that there's really no way they're going to find her. And I love Steven because that was the first time he'd been through and he's like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, certainly they realize that there's no way they're going to find her, especially she's on her home turf, but she's being held as a prisoner when the word comes in about that latest sighting and, you know, snakes on a plane are one thing snakes in the toilet. Just, Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's that's. I, I know my wife would would not appreciate that scene, but so. the SWAT team debarks, and I love when they go in, guns drawn. All the kids are standing there with their hands up, yeah, probably thinking they're in trouble for kicking the soccer ball against the wall against the rules that the sign is posted. Right, I right. just love that scene. Yeah, every time yeah, that, I see it. That's a good scene. And then, you know, Steven kind of does a little back kick with the soccer ball and yeah. showing off some soccer skills. Yep. Now, Helen says she'll only talk to Nick about what she knows. 
And okay, the other thing is that room that they keep meeting in where it's totally dark, except for what the hell's up with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is that like the cone it's of silence? Of like but government place, yeah, you know, right? I guess, but but their meeting is is kind of contentious. And she tells him that unless they act quickly, a pride of saber-toothed killers is going to be rampaging through central London, which, of course, we learn is a lie. That was her way of escaping, which, okay, that eh, was a pretty good lie. I, I, yeah. I, I get that. And then that line that Cutter says about Helen, she might be selfish, but she's not evil. And, and that's kind of what we're left with at the end of this episode, trying to determine whether or not that's true. And I, I know it's pretty much of a leap to consider that she's become evil in these eight years, as opposed to a selfish scientist that wants to keep her discovery to herself. I think Nick is right about that. Yeah, you know, it, it could be. But also, I can also see that evil in here. I mean, she is very quick to anger. She's misanthropic. She cares, you know, doesn't seem to care anything really for human life. So I can see how that that evil could also be possible. So now that we're at the end of episode four, and we know about all of the anomalies on the other side. We, we know how to get there. Cutter has begun mapping out a fault line. What's the next step? Do we go back through and look for Helen? Is that a fool's errand? I mean, I, and I assume you remember, so I guess you have to be judicious in what you say. But I <laughs> right. mean, from, from I mean, you so, can so, see that that trying to find Helen would, you know, become yeah, maybe not necessarily priority because probably priority is going to be trying to figure out what the anomalies do and trying to predict predict when they're going to pop up. Um, but certainly, you know, Helen would you think is going to be part of that priority as well? Right, and obviously, their number one priority is the safety of london and the surrounding areas that that as these anomalies open up they got to deal with what it is that comes through a few dodo birds not that big a deal but the other right. stuff is causing some problems and now that we realize yeah. they can be underwater well it's going to be interesting and it's going to be interesting to see what they do with only two more episodes and and you know how they leave season one so i'm looking forward to it i mean there's there's things that i wish the show wasn't doing but it's okay because you know the characters are also likable and yeah lester i mean yes claudia has become my favorite character i think because she's placed in that in-between position of understanding both sides of the of the equation and while she truly has to be the facilitator i i think she's growing closer or or rather just when i think she's growing closer to the science end of the argument something happens to pull her back to her governmental duties and and i and i like that the fact that she's constantly in flux and then lester of course is just lester yeah yeah 
Well, you know, and, and we see Claudia, who is, you know, obviously, you know, a character. She's, you know, close to Nick. And, um, you know, we, we see that that side of her as being the kind of liaison and dealing with them. And then we see her making the cold, tough governmental decisions as well. So, All right. Well, what uh, – anything else you want to bring up that uh, – Well, we just the, that – that, that, last scene with with connor and tom is is you know fairly touching and you know we do i think in the end um see tom as as a sad you know not necessarily innocent victim because like we said he you know you know kind of most but but pretty much brought on himself by you know messing around with things he shouldn't have but we do feel, you know, a, a sense of loss with him at the end there. And then, of course, you know, and then kind of wants to quit, right, after that. He he's, he says, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And Nick kind of gives him this little, you know, pep rally, pep speech, um, telling him how Tom would want him to keep doing it, which, like, how does Nick know that? Like, did, he didn't really meet Tom, you know, so, you know, like, for him to say that. But, um, but you know, anyway, the point is, is that um, – you know the show at first obviously it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination uh, it's got you know some you know some faults here and there but what it also has as you said a strong core of characters that we really like and also this strong sense of humanity you know that's where sometimes genre shows kind of lose it a little bit when you know given us people that we we care about and we see as actual human beings i think that's one thing that the show is um in the first four episodes was very successful at uh, creating these uh solid characters that we really like well look how many times did we ask whether or not helen is a good character or a bad character so the fact that we don't know that tells you something sure the the other thing is what do they do with duncan now that he knows what's going on yeah yeah good good question so uh, you know as lester said with one of the previous uh situations uh it's you know would have been better if they died then we wouldn't have to worry about them talking and and certainly right. uh, he he gets his wish with tom but so We'll see. I don't think they're going to kill Duncan, but hopefully they're not going to bring him on the team either. Just yeah, <laughs> have him in the background once in a while. But uh, right, um, you know, I, I'm I'm going with a, a B minus on 103 and and a B on 104, primarily because of the Helen angle of the story, and as you said, the the final scene, which I, I think really. Uh, touches on a lot of important themes. So I'm going to go B minus and B. Okay. I think I'm going to go B and B. So I'm going to be just a, just a, a, a slight level higher upgrading than you with a B on episode three and a B plus on episode four. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll go ahead and leave it there. We don't have any feedback this week, but that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear from you, what you think about Primeval, Dark, Travelers that's coming up, anything in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, you can spread the word. Bring people in on your own. Emails to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. 
And we'll be back next week to take a look at episodes five and six as we end our run with series one of the BBC show Primeval. But until then... You know, I was actually looking through some old things, trying to clean up around the house a little bit. Found my third grade report card. I was surprised to see that my teacher wrote on there. He looks like a half-wit, but he has a very good mind.